with me to Luke chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, we are going through the book of Luke on Sundays. Verse by verse study. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. You can even keep it if you'd like. Luke chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last week, starting in verse 22. We'll be reading verses 22 to 34. Luke chapter 12. I'll assume you're all there or nearly there, and I'll begin to read. Verse 22, Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn. And God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If I could, I would have been 6'4 in high school anyway. But uh, verse 26, if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye, or you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or drink, what you should, uh, and do not have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Lord, we just ask again the presence and the power of your Spirit to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Billy Graham in his book, The Secret of Happiness, tells of uh, one stressed-out secretary, although we'd say administrative assistant today. She told her boss, when this rush is over, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I earned it, I deserve it, and nobody's going to take it from me. And she's not alone, is she? Pamela Petler, in her tongue-in-cheek book, The Joy of Stress, outlines the stress and worry diet. He gets off to a good start with breakfast. Here's breakfast, a half a grapefruit, one piece of whole wheat toast, and eight ounces of skim milk. And lunch, four ounces of lean broiled chicken breast, one cup of steamed zucchini, and one Oreo cookie, and an herb tea. Mid-afternoon snack, the rest of the package of the Oreos cookies, (laughs) one quart of Rocky Road ice cream, and one jar of hot fudge. (laughs) Finally, getting to dinner, two loaves of garlic bread, one large mushroom and pepperoni pizza, a large pitcher of root beer, three Milky Ways, and an entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. (laughs) Worry, stress, fear, anxiety, these feelings, they have a way of building, don't they? It's why we're all familiar with the terms stressed out. 
meltdown, a, a nervous breakdown, a bundle of nerves, things that keep you up at night, to name just a few. There's a lot of cliches, and we're familiar with them. They, they're, they're actually part of our normal code of speech. We interact with people because we all can relate. But Jesus did not save us to live that way. I think we forget that, don't we? He did not save us to live that way. Now, the flesh that remains within us is predisposed to worry and be anxious. But the Lord, through our willingness, we have to be willing, amen? Through our willingness... And even that would never be enough, but that has to be there. Through our willingness and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord wants to set us free from the worries of this world. He really does. It's not easy. It goes against everything within us. But the Lord wants to set us free from these things. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our, our time in God's Word this morning, Goodbye to Worry. Wouldn't it be nice to really say goodbye to it? It takes a while sometimes to say goodbye to anything, doesn't it? But the Lord wants us to. We'll look at four things from the text this morning uh, that I believe the Lord outlines here. One is the areas. What are the areas of worry? We'll look at that. The areas. We'll look at the evidence. Jesus points to some things as evidence for us that he can be trusted. The tendencies, what are our tendencies? Even when we know everything that we should be doing, what are our tendencies still? And lastly, the promise. What can we stand on to really say goodbye to worry? Now, if you notice in the text, look at verse 22. Then he says to his disciples, we'll come back to that as well. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. Therefore... A mentor of mine in ministry, you may have heard this before, but he always reminded me, he said, whenever you see a therefore, find out why it's therefore. What does it mean when he's saying therefore? Well, you've got to go back to last week. What were we looking at? Well, Jesus told the parable of the rich man who had invested his whole life in acquiring stuff. He had amassed wealth. He had worked really hard at it. And he was finally going to be able to enjoy it all. And then his soul was required. He worked himself into an early grave, not knowing it. But he really was hoping that all those things were going to provide peace and happiness and joy for years to come. And that never came to fruition. And so Jesus is saying, therefore, he turns to his disciples and says, now to you guys, to you, Calvary Chapel of Richmond, to you, believer, because you're not going to follow that man's life. You're not going to follow his way of doing things. Jesus said, I want you, therefore, to go the opposite direction of the world. What was the focus of the rich man that died too young? He was focused on himself. He was focused on stuff. That was his life. He was focused on himself in the mirror, all that he could, uh, could pull in that would actually bring happiness. Instead, Jesus wants us to focus on him 
and his eternal kingdom. Because it's not natural in our flesh to do that. We, we are thinking about everything but eternity usually. And usually throughout the day, you know, you have to really be intentional to think about Christ. The Holy Spirit will prompt, but we still can uh, have our senses dulled that we're following after these other things. So Jesus then begins to talk about these areas, these uh, areas of worry and stress that are really common to all of us. The life, just life in general. He says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, the body, what you'll put on. And what he's essentially saying here is our life, our body, our health, our person, our provisions, all of those things. Those are the things that we, uh, that we think about. Even, uh, you know, we know as Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just the life in general. How are these things going to be met? And like I said, it takes intentionality and us truly following and truly trusting Jesus to have relief from worry. Relief from anxiety. Everyone wants relief from it. That's why, um, uh, what's that, uh, that place that has everything, you know, the uh, Brookstone or something. Like everything in the store is to get relief. You ever gone into Brookstones? You go in there and like every single thing. What's that pillow? Oh, that's to give your neck relief. What's this over here? Well, that's to relieve your foot. What's this over here? Uh, that's to, well, that's to rub your back. I mean, everything in the store. You know, airplane, people sit there and read through that thing, like, wow, where have I never seen this device before? You put this on and all your problems go away. You just put these headphones on, these uh, covers your eyes, and all of a sudden you're in another world. And if it worked, they wouldn't keep selling new things. According to the American Psychological Association, uh, they actually just put out this report back in February. It's the 2014 report. But say this year's Stress in America survey shows that stress about money and finances is prevalent nationwide. Even as aspects of the U.S. economy have improved, in fact, regardless of the economic climate, money has consistently topped Americans' list of stressors since the first Stress in America survey took place in 2007. Isn't it interesting that we're the most blessed nation on earth and our nation is, I mean, everyone is fixated on how much is in the bank, how much is in my checkbook. Do, are we going to make it? Are we going to have enough for retirement? Will we have enough for this? Will we have enough for that? I mean, we're the most blessed nation on earth. We can go to places around the world where people don't have a fraction of what I have, and they're not even as stressed about it. It goes on, 72% of adults reporting feeling stressed about money at least some of the time, 72% in the U.S., and 22% say they experience extreme stress about money during just the past month. 22%, extreme stress. The most commonly reported symptoms of stress in the past month include the following. Irritable and angry, 37%. Feeling of nervous and anxious, 35%. Having a lack of interest or motivation, 34%. Fatigue, 32%. Feeling overwhelmed, 32%. And being depressed and sad, also 32%. Makes you want to maybe go home now, right? Uh, hopefully we'll get some good news from the Lord. I think we will. In the NBC News Today article back in August 2012, uh, the, uh, the writer says this, we've become a tense, a very tense and anxious nation. 
Millions of us are kept awake at night by racing thoughts and are so edgy during the day that our blood pressure skyrockets and our heart pounds. Over the past... Now listen to this. This is, our, this is the country we live in. 2012 article. Over the past three decades, anxiety orders have jumped more than 1,200%. Over the past three decades... With as many as 117 million adults in the U.S. reporting high levels of anxiety, studies indicate. Some experts point to our high-paced, stressful lifestyle as feeding fear, issuing in this new age of anxiety, NBC News chief medical editor Dr. Nancy Snyderman said. 1,200% anxiety disorders in the last 30 years. In the last 30 years, everything should be better. We now have smartphones. We now have instant information. We can supposedly find anything on Google or Bing within less than a second. This should have, this should have solved everything. And yet people are more uptight, more worried, more stressed, more fear. A People magazine article cited chronic worry is associated with higher risk of heart attacks, elevated blood pressure, musculoskeletal aches and pains, gastrointestinal disturbances, ulcers, skin eruptions, eczema, asthma, respiratory problems, and ultimately dying younger. None of these are Christian publications. I'm reading to you from the wider, you know, whether they be medical or business or just lifestyle articles. So the world recognizes this. Now Jesus is looking on and notices it in the Roman time. It would have been pretty stressful to live under the Roman Empire. The opportunity for crucifixions and things like that that were taking place. But today... People have just as much fear, and in fact, it's been increasing over the last 30 years as far as just problematic. A Gallup poll, Americans' level of worry about national problems. This is the 2014 poll. This is what Americans are worried about on a national level. Number one, the economy. Number one, 59% of Americans worried about the economy. Number two, federal spending and the budget deficit. Number three, the availability and affordability of health care. Number three, concern of Americans on a national level. Number four, unemployment. Number five, the size and power of the federal government. Number six, the social security system. Will it be there when I need it? Number seven, hunger and homelessness. Number eight, crime and violence. Number nine, the possibility of future terrorist attacks in the United States. And number 10, the availability of an affordability of energy. Those are the top 10 things that Americans are focused on as national problems. And I would say all of those are legitimate. Now, one thing about worry is, in a sense, all worry is legitimate if they're, if they're real problems. Wouldn't you agree? But the thing about worry is, in a sense that it makes sense to notice problems, worry doesn't solve them. That's the, that's the thing about worry is you can recognize something, but worry doesn't do anything about it. And that's what Jesus is trying to make the point is, yeah, your life, what to wear, what to eat, all those things, those are legitimate in and of themselves, but what can you actually do about it? Well, I can work and I can do this. Well, that's true, but you know, there are, are circumstances that could stop us from working. There's circumstances that can stop us from breathing. So all of these things, worry in and of itself, can't fix problems that we notice or we recognize. But there's plenty of them out there. 
a Lifeway research just found that one in three Americans worry about Sharia law being instituted in the United States. An anxious mind is a worldwide problem. Jesus said in verse 30, the nations of the world, he speaks that, that this is not just the United States, this is all over the world. According to uh, a Benedict Health study in the UK, uh, here are the top 12 areas of worry and stress for our friends across the pond, uh, our British friends. This is, what they, this is their top 12. That they personally, not the national problems, but the, the personal ones, when they look in the mirror, these are the things that concern them and cause them a lot of worry and stress. I can't believe number one, but this is it. Stomach and being overweight. <laughs> Apparently those in London are walking around thinking, I need to lose two pounds or whatever it is. Number one, stomach and being overweight. Number two, getting old. Number three, lack of savings and financial future. Number four, overall fitness. Number five, overdrafts and loans. Number six, low energy levels. Number seven, credit card debt. Good thing we don't have that in this country. Uh, number eight, paying rent and mortgage. Number nine, job security. Number 10, diet. Number 11, keeping the house clean. You just see someone at work, I've got to get home. I left the kitchen a mess. And some people, that will bother them all day long. They really will. It'll ruin their day. <coughs> Number 12, finding a new job. Got to get out of this job. Got to get out of this job. I say that a lot of times. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's British people think about that. I, I don't struggle with that. But again, you look at those things, and we naturally look at all these things, and we take them on. And by the way, no matter what survey you ever hear, that was England, I showed some from the United States, death is the number one fear. Notice everyone tries to avoid that one. I don't think about death. Not, not even, my stomach's number one. And by the way, when it says growing old, guess what that really means? Death. That was number two. It should have been number one, but if you feel weird, put it in number one. So people don't even tell the truth on the surveys anyway. But they are worried about all these things. The science and technology website, Motherboard, had an article in 2013. Remember, I came from the technology background, so I look at this kind of stuff. And uh, the, the 150 things the world's smartest people are afraid of. The 150 thing, I'm not going to read 150 for you, but the smartest people in the world, 150 things that the smartest people in the world, 2013 article, uh, Nassam Nicholas Taleb, he says, black swan events, which would be very unusual, come out of nowhere, black swan events, and the fact that we continue, and I agree with some of these, by the way, we continue to rely on models that have proven to be fraudulent. Here's another one, Dan Sperber, social and cognitive scientist, that the age of accelerating technology will overwhelm us with opportunities to be worried. Now we're worried about being worried. And technology, he believes, is playing a big role in it. How about Seth Lloyd, professor of quantum mechanical engineering at MIT, that there will be another supernova-like financial disaster? Jessica L. Tracy, professor of psychology, humanity's unmitigated arrogance is her biggest worry. She's got a point there. Jesus would agree with that one, although he's not worried about it, but he would recognize it. Werner Vinge, mathematician, computer scientist, and author, how about this one? Mutually assured destruction. 
China has the nuclear weapons. Russia has nuclear weapons. We have nuclear weapons. Mutually assured destruction. Stuart A. Kaufman, this, is, this one really gets me. Stuart A. Kaufman, professor of biological science, physics, and astronomy, that we are inarticulately lost in modernity. Many of us seem to sense the end of something, perhaps a futile meaningless in our modernity. Here's a guy, I mean, these are, these are brilliant people, and they kind of recognize we're careening in the wrong direction. Mutual self-destruction, meaningless, more worry, more just technology overtaking us. But most of us, with all those things in the backdrop, and they are in the backdrop, aren't they? We think about them to some extent, some more than others, some people more than others, but most of our worries go back to the day-to-day, don't they? Most of our worries are the day-to-day concerns Jesus mentioned. Will we have enough to eat? Will we be able to buy clothes and household supplies as needed? What if there's big unexpected expenses? How are we going to handle that? And what about the medical expenses? But the real question is for the believer, is God aware? That's what Jesus is asking. Say, do you think, Jesus is telling us that, do you think that I don't know you need those things? So he's asking his disciples, all right, you've got a lot of things out there that could keep you up. Do I know about them? Will Jesus take care of us? if we're really his children? That's the question. Will he take care of us? Now, it doesn't mean will he give us all the things we want. It doesn't mean that because everyone else is eating at Ruth Chris that we get to eat at Ruth Chris. I'm not making you feel guilty if you ate there last night. Just take us next time, that's all. (laughs) But, you know, Jesus knows that these things weigh on the mind, way on the heart. But look what he turns to if you're taking notes. Let's look at the evidence. Of all the things that Jesus might say next, if, if I'd never read the Bible, and you stopped with where he says, do not worry about the body, do not worry about you'll put on, do not worry about your life. If you said, all right, Jesus stops there, but he's about to give some evidence of why you don't need to worry, I would have not guessed what he's about to talk about. And look what he says. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouses nor barn. God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? I hate to tell the animal rights folks, but we actually are worth more than the animals. Because Jesus said it right here. You don't have to, you don't have to feel guilty about that. Are we worth more than whales or birds or anything else? Apparently, yes. Not because we are, but because God determines so. I mean, in other words, there's nothing we've done of value. Matter of fact, they're not actually out there sinning. We are. But yet God has chosen to place value upon us. And he says, consider the the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Of course, Solomon's kingdom was magnificent full of gold, full of silver, full of splendor, beautiful buildings, unrivaled in perhaps the history of the world. But Jesus turns 
First to the ravens and the birds. You know, I go out oftentimes and uh, I'll take a morning walk and I'll just pray and I go out early in the morning and I love it. The other day, it rained all day yesterday. It was whatever the first day this week, I can't remember what it was. It was pretty sunny like today. And the birds, they were having a blast. It sounded like a choir out there. And not only did they have, were they singing, there was a rhythm session because a woodpecker was going to town on a tree. <laughs> so we had drums. I had some soprano going. There was a little bit of baritone with different, uh, I mean, there was all these different sounds of birds. And, and the more I study the scriptures, I'm saying, if Jesus said, take notice of it, then I'm going to take notice of it. Because I noticed none of them were stressed out. It was early in the morning, and they were happy to be up and whistling and everything else. And uh, we even have an alarm clock. Uh, did any of you have the bird sounds that you can actually? We have that. It's way better than, eh, 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 you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> that sounds like the end of a game or something, you know. Uh, sounds like you better get out for a fire alarm or something. But look at the birds, and Jesus said, look at them. They don't have a bank account. They don't have a 401K. They don't have health insurance. They don't have any of this stuff, and they're not worried about it at all. He's basically telling us we can learn something from them because they just, they don't know to do this. They just simply trust whatever God provides. And we need to get to that place as well. And he says, not just the birds, but he talks about flowers. Look at the lilies of the field. Um, I think I have a picture of some lilies, if we can put those up. Lilies are beautiful, aren't they? I put them up in case maybe someone here doesn't know what a lily is. Some men wouldn't know. They wouldn't know a carnation from a lily, so they you know, could show what it is. But the, the lilies in Israel, those are native right there. See the white ones? Those are the ones that are native to Israel. Matter of fact, Israel is today uh, one of the world's most... Uh, prosperous exporter of floral and all over Europe. Uh, they uh, import quite a bit of uh, Israel's flowers. But the lilies have, uh, have a good history uh, in ancient Israel. Uh, the lily, as you see, it's uh, got six petals. It's uh, kind of a form uh, of a six-pointed, like, kind of like a star, and six, six points in. In Hebrew, it's called Shoshan, derived from the Hebrew number, uh, which is six, or Shesh, uh, in Israel, they regard the lily, uh, ancient Israel anyway, regarded the lily as the choicest among all the flowers. It's used as a source of perfume. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen like a stargazer lily. Uh, you don't even have to get 10 feet away from it. It smells incredible. They use them for perfume. And uh, in ancient he uh, Hebrew poetry, the lily uh, was often a symbol of purity. Uh, King Solomon, who Jesus mentions here, obviously, mentions King Solomon not being as intricately designed, at least in, in just glory that just kind of springs up out of the ground. Solomon had to really work hard to build all those buildings. Remember how long it took? Seven years to build the temple. Uh, it took more years than that to build his palace. Uh, there was a lot of hard work, but God says, look at the lilies. They just kind of burst up out of the dirt, and they're beautiful. No one helped them. You know, I mean, a, a, a botanist or anyone else, they can study them, but they don't make lilies beautiful. Lilies are beautiful. 
But uh, in ancient Israel, they would refer, even Solomon referred to the lily of the valleys in Song of Solomon's uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Lilies were commonly used as art- architectural motifs uh, in, for example, the first temple, uh, the capitals uh, up at the top of the um, pillars, they would have lilies engraved on the columns. The vestibule was shaped like lilies. They were four cubits high. This is in 1 Kings seven nineteen. It's a beautiful flower. And Jesus is saying, look at this beautiful flower. Look at the birds there. Look at all of these things. They're not worried. They're not stressed. They're not running around in circles. Speaking of flowers, the Lord uh, takes care of these flowers that just come out of the dirt. And, and here it is springtime, and we'll start to see daffodils come up. We'll start to see flowers uh, come up. But they come up out of the dirt. And the whole, all, how, how God actually um, replenishes and takes care of the entire ecosystem is amazing, isn't it? Everything looks dead and like there's no way. I mean, good night. The trees are all brown and the dirt and everything. And all of a sudden, it just starts coming up out of nowhere. Everything starts to green, and after, uh, the flowers come, the bees start coming around, the pollen. Well, we do love the pollen, don't we? Allegra gets, sells a lot during the spring, makes a fortune. But the, the pollen starts to come, and the bees uh, come around. They need pollen for protein. The bees actually take the pollen, and then they, they start to take nectar out of the flowers. And then when they do that, the, the plants are able to pollinate and produce new seeds, which provides honey uh, for us, but also many other fruits. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, a single bee visits up to 5,000 flowers a day. If you think that's something, consider this to make one pound of honey. Uh, the hive of bees must travel over 55,000 miles collectively and visit 2 million flowers. It's a good thing God makes the flowers grow, isn't it? Because if the flowers don't grow, the bees aren't. And Mark Twain is one, I think, that said, when the bees are gone, the food's gone. Because they're essential to a lot of things. Bees are absolutely essential for the production of kiwi fruits. If you like kiwi, thank a bee. Cashews, watermelon, cantaloupe, squash, zucchini, macadamia nuts, and here it is, cocoa. So if you like chocolate, thank a bee. Because the plant flowers, and it has to be pollinated. And so all of these things, God's saying all these things, they come up, but they don't, they just operate at rest. You ever see a, a plant just, oh, I've got to push out some color today. <laughs> got to be yellow. <laughs> no, they don't worry about all these things. And Jesus, look at them. Now, if he tells, it's a good thing. I, I even started thinking about this. I said, all right, if the Lord's telling us to truly, everything Jesus said, he means. You and I say things we don't really mean sometimes. Hey, I'd love to have you come over. <laughs> sure hope they don't come over. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say things like that. Whatever he says, he actually means. So he says, when he says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at these things, he means look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at them, and, and you might be able to recall Scripture by just looking at a flower. So if you're at work this week and you're getting stressed out, look out the window and watch a bird fly by and say, time out. God has that bird, and he has me. Now remember, this is for his disciples. If we're his... We can take these and hold on to these things. 
Let's look at the tendencies, verses 29 through 30. We have a lot of tendencies. Jesus says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. We could spend a tremendous amount of time, now more than ever. Our grandparents didn't have the food network, did they? They didn't have House Hunters International. They didn't have all these things, which I enjoy some of these things. Matter of fact, my favorite TV show is Bizarre Foods. I love that show. I could watch it for hours. First of all, it's like international travel, which is, is you know, fun stuff for me. I like learning things, and I just like quirky stuff anyway. So, but the bizarre foods that people eat in outer Mongolia and South Vietnam and all these things, I look at those things, I'm like, that's pretty out there, you know? <laughs> Never thought about roasting a bat before. <laughs> but people today have a tremendous amount of time thinking about Jesus. Like it's, I don't want you spending hours thinking about all the things we need to have this this week, eat this, this you know. I'm not saying that meal plans aren't good, but, but he's like, be careful that these things don't become consuming. Because for a lot of people, they are consuming. I, I really was, just, I, a part of me was a little bit, I saw that, that one of the shows had children having bake-offs, like seven, eight-year-olds battling against each other in cooking contests. I'm like, when did this start? Can they just play, you know, like, pretend like remember the old easy bake oven thing let them do that and then what i'm I, well I've, I've got escargot and i've got this you know i'm like good night we've given it a high elevated status that it really can become idolatrous we pursue these things to such a degree but jesus says you You've got these uh, tendencies, so don't worry about what you should eat or drink, and do not have, verse 29, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things, the nations of the world, he's like, don't, don't be like the pagan nations in the past or present. Don't follow whatever the Romans are doing. If the Romans sit around and feast all day, I don't want you to live that way. I want you to think differently. And all these things, interestingly enough, Pursuing all these things gives an anxious mind. You would think, well, these things should make us really happy. But they don't, do they? Think about our worries and fears in four categories. I'm going to go over these four. If you're taking notes, four categories. These aren't official. These are just the way I'm bucketing them. So you can, uh, you can have your own thought about it. But the first one, when I think about all of our fears and worries. Number one, external awareness. What, is, what do I mean by that? These fears, the ones that are related to external awareness, these would be things like terrorism, natural disasters, disease, economy, war, death. These things affect everybody, don't they? No matter who you are. We are aware that these things exist. And if you dwell on them, you can become quite fearful, can't you? Because they all do exist. Death is going to come to everybody. Wars are out there now. Terrorism's out there now. Natural disasters, disease, economy, issues like that. So we're externally aware that outside the four walls of our house or outside the four walls of these buildings, out there, these things are happening right now somewhere on planet Earth. Someone has passed away while we've been in here. Many people have. 
And so when we apply that awareness to ourselves, what do we usually do? Well, we apply external awareness to us personally and our loved ones, our spouse, our children. What if, what if my child died? So that's external awareness. We, ex- we, we apply those things to our own situation. Number two is different. It's personal experience. So uh, external awareness, you may have never been in a war, but you're aware of war. But personal experience, well, this is something that actually you've touched it, felt it in your own life. These are things that are personal and very close firsthand experience. They can be bad memories, really bad memories, or current stressors in our life. An auto accident, a sickness, a personal threat, a loss of a job, a broken relationship, a death in the family, a surgery, even if it went well, a phobia or fear that just seemed to develop out of nowhere. Perhaps it came from a stressful moment in time. Even a bad dream can give rise to personal fears or worries. We're not applying these from external. These actually land in our lap. Does that make sense? They're not the external that are out there that we apply to ourselves, these have somehow ended up in our minds or in our lap through personal experiences in our own life or close to us. The third one, this one is not always helpful, unsolicited information. These can be um, fears that someone else has and worries that they have, and they share with you why you should also be worried and concerned about these things. Unsolicited information. You weren't looking to be afraid of something, and someone comes along and says, you need to be afraid of this. Why? Well, because I am. (laughs) And if I am, we all should be. And then, sometimes we adopt it. We say, well, I guess I should. Never worried about that before, but now I will because you are. Maybe our grandparents were right. Birds of a feather, right? You know, just kind of... And then the last one, though, this is probably the most often, the most insidious, and this is the one Jesus is addressing the most here. Because he's aware of the other categories. He knows these other things are in the backdrop of our life. The the fourth one is what I call self-imposed worry. Self-imposed worry. These can be ongoing, consistent issues, or they can be a point-in-time issue something to happen once, or, or just kind of interest in things in our life, uh, the source is the same for either. Now, one under, everyone understand, without a doubt, the world's philosophy, the world's value system, and the cultural influences, they do impact, they do have an impact on our self-imposed anxiety and stress, because we all are receiving messages like crazy from magazines, from commercials, from bumper stickers, from radio, whatever it is that's telling us, you need this. This is going to make you happy. You buy this, you're going to really love it. All these kind of things. Once you eat this, you'll never go back. Whatever it is, all these things, they channel uh, to everybody what you should pursue, what you should give your energy to, what you should give your time to. But even if there were no exterior voices and no outside influence, our own flesh would gravitate to self-imposed anxiety. That's the sin nature in us. Our own flesh would still gravitate to self-imposed anxiety. Jesus knows this. 
unlike the other three areas, the other three areas, external awareness, personal experience, and unsolicited information, those three areas, we might immediately try and resist them, right? That makes sense? We might immediately say, I don't want to fear that. I'm going to try and push that away. I don't want to be anxious about that. I'm going to try and push that away. But with self-imposed, even when we tell ourselves, well, I should say this, the, the ones that come from the outside, we'll try and push them away by telling ourselves, this is dumb, this is irrational, this is unproductive. But not the self-imposed. The self-imposed, we embrace. We embrace these worries and fears, but we embrace them, we embrace them seemingly unaware. We're not always aware we're embracing them. Does that make sense? In other words, we have adopted the cultural mindset without knowing it. We're just flowing downstream. And so then, whatever other people are focused on, we become focused on, and then their anxieties become our anxieties because of what we have as our goals in life and what we focus on is important. Think about it like this. He's a self-imposed kind of thing. I'll get a couple examples. I'm going to get a new car every two years. That can be a self-imposed stress, can't it? Well, I, I, didn't get, I didn't make as much money this year, and now I'm stressed because I have put, I have put on myself, that's always what I've done. I've done this since I was 22. I get a new car every two years. What if God says, well, I don't want you to get a new car every two years? Well, I don't like that answer, so I'll be stressed anyway. Well, God said, well, that's self-imposed. Isn't it? I, well, we can't afford it, but we need to buy an iPad for every child. Why? Because all of our neighbors did. Self-imposed. And we could go, there is many things like this. Self-imposed. I need to spend six hours every Saturday on the yard. And I'm stressed because it rained yesterday. And I didn't get a chance to do it. Self-imposed. But, the, where do we get the influence? From the outside world. From the magazine that showed a perfect yard. And you thought, well, everybody has... And we really ride around, not everybody has that. Most people don't. But the magazine says everyone should have this. And so these are self-imposed things. And we, the, th the other three come at us and they land in our lap to some degree and we have to try and resist them. But the self-imposed one, Jesus is saying... He's addressing here, the, he's saying, of all the fears, the ones you self-impose, when you stop self-imposing anxiety, the others will fade even faster. This one's the key. This one's the key. This one, if we would put our eyes on Christ, then the others will fade much easier. When we are anxious about these, then the three above are even more magnified. We'll look at Jesus' counsel as we come to a close on dealing with all worry, but, but understand, we have this tendency, no matter where you're from, to choose worry. We all have that tendency. We have a tendency to choose worry when the Lord wants us to choose worship. Jesus said, the time is coming, and has now come, when the Father is seeking true worshipers. He didn't say worriers. John chapter 4. The time is coming and has now come when the Father is seeking true worshipers. 
We can be warriors or we can be worshipers. There's really not an in-between, though. We think there is. That's the thing. We think, well, I think I'd be really happy if I could manage my stress down to here as long as I can still do what I want to do. God says it doesn't work that way. I either offer worship or you've got worry. Which will it be? Well, can I find the middle ground because I'm okay with a, maybe I just lose two years of my life to stress. Well, you're not guaranteed that anyway. We have this tendency to choose worry. The Lord wants us to worship. We have a tendency to make decisions, to cultivate habits and to pursue things that pull us back into worry. They keep pulling us back into anxiety. They keep pulling us back into fear. As Jesus mentions fear here as well. The British study that I mentioned found that those surveyed 14.31 hours a week worrying, 744, year, 744 hours a year worrying, 45% of those studied admitted stress and worry had directly affected their health. Many claimed stress made it impossible for them to concentrate at work, only adding to the worry because they couldn't concentrate. Additionally, an average of six nights sleep per month were lost due to excessive worry. Jesus doesn't want us to live this way. He's, it's his own words, isn't it? He's telling us, I do not. The birds do not toss and turn at night. I don't even know how they... I mean, you ever wonder, where are they sleeping tonight when it's pouring rain outside? The nest doesn't even look like it should work. And I'm like, when it dropped to like zero recently, I thought about the animals. I'm like, how are they going to do tonight? They can't tell us, so apparently it's going okay. <laughs> Only Eddie Murphy in that one movie was able to talk to him. But the rest of us, we, we look at them, and, and Jesus says, yeah, they're fine. You're the one that's up all night. They're out there, you know, camping really rugged and doing just fine. The word... No, or the world says, not the world, not the word. The world tells us, buy something, try yoga, take a vacation. But that's not what the Lord says, is it? That those things, people try all that stuff. My favorite movie is What About Bob? You ever seen it with Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray? It's my favorite movie. Love it. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. And uh, the movie's hilarious in the sense that it, it, it parodies a psychiatrist who supposedly has it all financially, he's got it together, and he ends up like losing his mind because he's trying to help a patient who's afraid of everything and phobia about everything. But really, both of them have a lot of issues, right? And at one time, he tries to get Bill Murray into the insane asylum so he can get rid of him. And then the lady says, well, is his friend who heads up the place says, no, he's fine. We have to release him. And then he, he has a meltdown, and she says, take a vacation. He says, I'm on vacation. <laughs> right? That's, that's a lot of Americans, isn't it? You, you can't just taking a vacation is not enough. Jesus, I mean, the Romans knew how to take vacations. The wealthy aristocracy of Jewish people in Jesus' day knew how to take vacations. 
the lower class, uh, which is who he spent most of his time with, that didn't have, they didn't have that. But at, at all levels, there wasn't happiness. We, we looked at last week, look at all the, the tragedies and overdoses and everything, the people that have the most, they're not the happiest. They get lots of vacations. Which house do they pick from? Those things don't do it. Only a new life in Christ. In Christ. Let's close with the promise because that's, that's what we all need, isn't it? We need promises from the Lord, don't we? The world, it tries to make promises that it can't keep. Madison Avenue, Hollywood, corporate America, they don't really care about us. Jesus does. Amen? He actually really does love us. Really cares. The promise is verse 31, but seek, here it is, seek the kingdom of God. Here's the promise. And all these things will be added to you. The rest you need, the peace you need. Do not fear a little flock. One of my favorite verses I told you all, I think, last week. But do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But he then says, sell what you have. Start learning to give. Don't lay up treasure here because that won't, that won't last. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oswald Chambers said, the great word of Jesus to his disciples is abandoned. Immediately, when we look at these words of Jesus, we find them most revolutionary, uh, the most revolutionary statement human ears have ever listened to. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We argue in the exact opposite. Even the most spiritually minded among us, don't we? He's right. We argue against it. But I must live. I must make so much money. I must be clothed. I must be fed. The great concern of our lives is not the kingdom of God but how we are to fit ourselves to live. Jesus reverses the order. Get rightly related to God first, maintain that as the great care of your life, and never put the concern of your care on other things. Oswald Chambers. I was listening to Alistair Begg even this week, and he said, God does not believe for us, we have to believe. He does not believe for us. We have to believe that Jesus, what he's saying, that this formula works. Now, you can look at the world's formula and know I can take you back 2,000 years and you can see, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. But every time we say, this time it'll work for me. And it never does. Do we believe? Do we believe the words and warning of Jesus? Do we believe the evidence? Do we believe that looking at the birds and the flowers is evidence enough? He says it is. He says that's evidence enough that you can t trust me. If the birds are still around and they have not died off and the flowers keep blooming every spring, then you're going to be okay in my hands too. Just like the rainbow he put in the sky. He said he would never flood the entire earth again, and he hasn't. It's a promise that we can be assured that he will keep his promise. But we have to get to the place where we believe. I have five things. We have to believe these five things. One, we have to believe he cares about us. We have to believe he cares about us. 
Macy's does not care about you. They don't. They care about what's in your wallet. I'm not against Macy's. I'm just letting you know that Amazon doesn't care about you. I mean, not, not to, only to a certain extent. Jesus really does. God cares about us. Number two, he has total control. Do we believe that? That God has total control of all circumstances, every atom. He has control of what's happening in three galaxies away, and he has control of everything that's happening right here. And in your heart, in your life, we have to believe he has total control. Number three, we have to believe his counsel is perfect and peaceful. Because it's not just perfect, it provides peace. He's called the prince of what? Peace. Everyone else is a fraud. Can't really get, they can't deliver on peace. He's the only one that owns peace. Everybody else can give you a substitute, but they can't give you peace. They can give you happiness, but they can't give you joy. But even happiness is very short, because then you need the next happy thing. Number four, his plans are perfect. He has plans for our life, and they're perfect. His plans are perfect. Number five, he'll never fail us. He'll never fail us. And boy, when we would start to believe those five things, he cares about us, he has total control, his counsel is perfect and peaceful, his plans are perfect, and he'll never fail us, we'll start to rest in the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said, why worry when my times are in his hands? But Jesus closes with a final reminder and a transcendent truth here. These words of comfort that he tells us not to fear, that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, these are words of comfort. These are words that we can stand on and, and have rest in. But the warning comes, remember, after the rich man that had had his money and his possessions, and all the things that can't buy another second of life when it's time to die, those same possessions, they, they can't buy peace, they can't buy rest, they can't buy a calm spirit, even when we're alive, much less can they buy anything upon death. And even if they could, even if they could give us even a measure of peace, they're gone as soon as we die. And so he's saying, I want you to remember... Focus on me, for us, focus on Christ, focus on eternity, and focus on today. Now you say, well that, hold on, focus on eternity and focus on today, aren't those, aren't those at odds with one another? No. When we focus on Christ, we're not focusing on things, stuff, and possessions. When we focus on eternity, we become givers, not takers. Because we're like, we're not taking this stuff with us, but we're going to take souls with us. Isn't that great? Your kids can go to heaven. Your kid's new bike won't. But your child can go to heaven. The soul will go, but the stuff won't. And again, I'm, not, this is, I'm making the point of what's temporal, what's not. Those things are not wrong, but the focus on Christ, the focus on eternity, and then the focus on today. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, I'll read it when I'm trying to turn there, but Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said this, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day. Today is its own trouble. 
Many people are so worried about what's coming down the road that they become idolatrous in their current behavior because they're thinking so much about preparation for how am I going to keep this level of lifestyle when I'm 70? The Lord's like, you're focusing too far on the wrong things. Focus on Christ. Focus on eternity. Focus on today. You know, Jesus, I'll come to a close with this. He was the greatest example of this ever. Think about it. Jesus, Jesus gave. He didn't try and acquire stuff. He left the fortunes of heaven to come to us, to live in the dusty earth. But then he actually knew he was going to lay down and have people put nails in his hands and his feet. I would not be able to think straight knowing that was coming. Would you? But he did. He could laugh with people. He could have a meal with them. He could know what he was headed to. Why? Because of the joy set before him, the scripture says, because his mind was in eternity, but he could live in the day of the moment too. Does that make sense? It's actually the eternal vision that allows you to live rightly today. The eternal vision was, he said, no, no, I'm, I have to go to Jerusalem because I'll bring all you to heaven. And that allows me to stop and spend that time with you right now because my mind is always on the eternal and allows me to not get so subtract. Because people are like really thinking about, well, I need to have this next week or this next year or this. And those are things that are self-focused. But the eternal mind stills the mind for the present. But are we going to trust his words? Do we believe he's the only place for peace? Do we believe he's the only place for rest? Job 35 says, look up at the clouds, they're higher than you. One of my favorite verses. And I remind you this week to meditate on these things. When these fears and anxieties and actual just the pull of the world is on you, turn and look at the flowers and the birds and say, Lord, I need to trust in your plans, your perfection. Jeremiah 31.3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you don't just tell us and show us the condition of our own heart related to worry, anxiety, and pursuing the things, Lord, the self-imposed worry of the pursuit of riches or pleasure or peace that can never be found in anything apart from you. But, Lord, you also give us the counsel, you give us the comfort, you give us the wisdom to wisely choose Christ. To focus on you, Jesus. To focus on eternity. And to focus on your spirit living in us today. And Lord, we want to embrace and believe and walk in these truths. That we could be set free. That we collectively could say goodbye to worry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.